You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and SJ Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Hey there, folks. What is going on? Welcome to the show today. I have to say, this is probably the most gear-focused episode I've done in a very long time, and a huge shout-out to my dude, Luke, for coming on and nerding out about Les Pauls with me. It was really, really fun. Just some quick housekeeping before we dive right in. If you've been eyeing some gear, if there is something that you've been meaning to purchase, if you could remember to use the affiliate links that are associated with this show, tonemob.com sweetwater for anything that you're buying from Sweetwater or tonemob.com slash reverb for any of your reverb purchasing needs. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but if you do use those links, it does give me a small percentage of that sale. Again, it doesn't cost you anything, but it does help me out quite a bit, especially Sweetwater. They are a massive supporter of the show and they are very, very, very kind with the amount that they share from those purchases. So if something has caught your eye, over on Sweetwater, please remember tonemob.com slash Sweetwater. And that goes a long ways to helping keep the lights on and the roof over my family's heads. So thank you very much for everyone that does that. All right, let's dive in. Without further ado, let's get into it with my dude, Luke from the band The Dirty Nil. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Luke Bentham from The Dirty Nil. What's going on, dude? Not much, man. Just enjoying the first rays of spring up here in uh, cold Canada. <laughs> it's uh, It's been cold here, too, in Oregon. Like We just had snow, and that was kind of weird. I wasn't prepared for that since I yeah. had... Uh, Half my roof stripped off when that happened. So I that had was the cool. same thing happen. Really? Yeah. Tis the season. Did it Tis go the season. okay? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's sitting in a pile out in the backyard and there's some buckets in my house, but, uh, (laughs) uh, we've done, we've had a patch job, but it hasn't really, um, it hasn't, uh, been a, a, a a perfect seal to the elements, but, um, it's better than having nothing up there. So I, I totally, totally get it. Yeah. I, we got really lucky and the, the guy put some of the underlayment down and I just had to, I just kept crawling up in the attic with a flashlight. Like, are we leaking? Yeah. Nope. We were good. So like hopefully, a, hopefully we get through this. Like a guy on a U-boat. <laughs> Pretty much is what it felt like. He was like, well, let me know if it starts leaking, but put a bucket under it if it does. I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is just what I wanted. Yeah. This is perfect. Not his fault, though. I did not check the weather either. So it, uh, it happens. I don't know. It's a good reminder of uh i don't know what it's a reminder of but it's a reminder of something it's a reminder to check your weather if you're gonna take your roof off yeah i guess i guess so yeah Yeah. for for anyone listening (laughs) well uh man i've been excited to do this uh there was i can't remember how many people on instagram have tagged you and been like you gotta get on the podcast gotta get luke on the podcast and it was like i do have to get luke on the podcast (laughs) Uh, and now we've, we finally made it happen. So hell yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you to everyone who's, uh, who's requested it. I'm, I'm hoping we can get into the topics that you're interested in. <laughs> Who knows what that might be? I think it probably centers around Les Paul's though. Most likely. Possibly. You seem like you're a big fan as, as am I, but, uh, maybe we can dive back into the journey for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you and we can. I know you've done you've done interviews and people have talked to you about your story, but this is a very just guitar centric show. And so a lot of the times the bands and people I have on, not all my listeners are familiar with. So maybe we could get your backstory and then we can talk about Les Paul Customs. Sure. Well, um, so I guess uh, so I play in a band called The Dirty Nil and we started uh, in 2006 when we were 16 years old. So uh we've been going for a long time now um and uh let's see i mean i i started playing guitar when i was 12 um my uh my godfather actually gave me my first guitar i i kind of wanted to get a bass and uh and uh as a way of maybe transitioning into playing guitar and gave me a uh a Squire Strat pack to kind of intro me into the whole thing. And, um, uh, that was basically it for me. I've been, uh, hopelessly, uh, 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 committed to the thing since, uh, I'm still trying to get a decent sound out of it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I started playing when I was 12, a uh, band started when I was 16 and, um, we've put out, uh, three studio albums and uh a compilation album of our early seven inches and uh we've toured the united states canada europe australia uh pretty aggressively and uh no end in sight to that um but uh yeah i'm trying to think of what other coles knows to mention of our uh of our career so far um we've played with some sick bands uh too many to mention but uh um you know, the who against me, um, who fighters, you know, we played, we played with a lot of sick bands, but, um, uh, yeah, in terms of my journey with electric guitar, it started when I was 12. And, um, uh, as I said, it started with that Squire Strat 
And um, I, I really had zero uh, natural aptitude towards the instrument other than um, uh, just uh, determination. I played, I think for the first six months, I played with a, my thumb um, mm-hmm. and played like uh, Mission Impossible, like dent. Dan, 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 Dan on uh yeah oh man that was what i started with and um yes. um there was a little knot there was a this uh squire strap pack came with a um a little amp that had a distortion button and i pretty much it, as soon as i got it i never took it off distortion uh and it was the te- most terrible distortion but it's funny the older i get the more i like ho- horrible distortion so i actually kind of <laughs> really like the sound of that super cheap amp but um um yeah as i said started on that and then about i guess it was like the next year i went up and i'd showed him that i was like practicing and he was like that's really cool um and then he lent me um a really really nice um uh Les Paul standard. Um and so I remember showing up at school with that and everyone was immediately green with jealousy. And I was I was the worst guitar player in the, out of all the guitar players, but I had the sickest guitar <laughs> by a country mile. And so there was uh the knives came out. But um uh I think about six months into having that a pos- my possession, I broke the headstock off, which uh oh no, which was the first, but certainly not the last time I've done that on uh on a Les Paul. But uh uh he made me a deal. He said, Listen, if you get it, if you pay for the repair, you can have it. So um I actually have it right behind me there. But uh um yeah, that that pretty much began my love affair with Les Pauls. Um, I, I, I always really wanted one because I think I, I had a, my best friend growing up, his dad had a Les Paul studio, like a really nice Alpine white one. And it was, there was a lot of ooing and awing around it with all of us just had Squire Strat packs that we got for Christmas one year. So it was, it was, it was quite posh, the, uh, the Les Paul. And uh, when I, when I got one, it was just, uh, you know, it's just a dream come true. And it did make me better at guitar, having a sicker guitar. Cause I played on it every single day, um, all the time. And it was less of a, less of a challenge to push the strings down, stayed in tune better. It just sounded better. So I wanted to play it more, but, um, you know, I was indoctrinated into the cult of the Les Paul from a young age, and I'm, I'm, there's there's no uh, amount of uh, unbrainwashing that's going to make me leave it. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, people that I really liked early on that played them, like um, it was pretty much just Pete Townsend, and it was just '70s videos of of Pete. I the Who were my favorite band when I was a kid, and. Um, why I, I had a DVD copy of the kids are all right. And, uh, all the footage of the who playing in the seventies, Pete's just jumping around with a Les Paul. And I think that that was, that was just what instantly what I wanted to do with my life. And so I'm fortunate enough that that is my life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, that's my, uh, that's my, that's my opening statement on my, uh, on my, uh, my kind of indoctrination into not only guitar, but uh, the, the Les Paul world. Yeah. It's something, something about it. I, I always, I always gravitated towards them too. And I just always wanted a Les Paul and 
I just remember it was kind of weird because my dad was more, he's more of a country guy and he's, he plays mostly acoustic, but he's always like, he's like, oh, I really like Les Pauls. I hope I can get a Les Paul one day, which is kind of strange looking back. You're like, are you sure you don't want a Telecaster? Like, mm-hmm. I thought you would want a Telecaster, which he, he has a Telecaster now, but he was, he always had a thing for Gibson for some reason. I don't really know where that came from, honestly, because most of his favorite artists didn't play Gibsons. He just always had a thing for Gibson, and so therefore, I always had a thing for Gibson. So if my dad likes it, it must be the coolest thing, right? Yeah. And I I graduated in 2005. Well, I was also 16, so we're really close to the same age. So, And I asked for my first electric guitar for, for graduation. They're like, what do you want? I was like, I really want an electric guitar. Like, I've been playing... They, you know, my parents didn't, and my dad included, didn't like really understand anything about gear. They loved music and they, they both played instruments, but you know, I was like, I want to play loud, distorted rock music. And they didn't have any idea how to help me get there. And so they were like, just play this, you know, you need to get an acoustic electric because then you can do both. Right. And then, uh, obviously I was like, Oh, I can, is that, I don't really, and I'd plug it into a, a, high gain, you know, something like a line six spider and it's just squealing all over the place. It's not making any sense at all. I'm like, I don't think this is the way I think I need a regular electric guitar. So I asked for one for, for graduation and I was expecting, you know, I, I said, I kind of like these Schecters, uh, you know, and these, some of these lower, you know, lower to mid range Ibanez's and a few things. And that's more what I was expecting. And imagine my surprise when I open up they bring out a guitar case and I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out because it, it literally it could have been anything and I would have been over the moon. Yeah. And I open it up and it's like Gibson Les Paul. It was one of the like early 2000s, like a 2003 faded Les Paul special in red. Uh, and I still have it. It's a fantastic guitar. Like it's it's taken a beating. Uh, it's always played good. It's always sounded good. Um I, my friends come over sometimes and they're like, oh, you still have that thing with all these other guitars? I'm like, play it. And they play it and like, wow, this is a fantastic guitar. So I got really, really lucky. And, you know, my mom found it in the back of a guitar center for really cheap. And dad picked it up, played it. It was like, I think this is a really good guitar. So that was that was it for me. I was I was going to be a Les Paul fanboy from then on out. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's same for me. I mean, as I said, my my friend's dad, he had one. And I think it's there's there's some kind of generational indoctrination into the whole thing, I think, when it comes to Gibson guitars. And it's funny because I I really do think that there are they're awesome guitars, I think, in terms of in terms of playability and price, there are certainly better guitars and uh, all that stuff, but I'm completely uninterested. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have, I, I, I've, I've picked up somebody's put a Paul Reed Smith in my hands. And I'm like, this is an objectively amazing guitar, but I'll never play it ever because right. <laughs> when I think of that, I think of, I just think of, um, I think of like a theory of a dead man or whatever. I don't know. Stain, <laughs> but I, when I think of, you know, when Les Pauls make me think of all the music that makes me happy and just right. pretty much any kind of Gibson guitar. So, um, yeah, it's funny because like 
to me, it's the most natural feeling guitar. It's just like where, whatever I want to do with the pickups or the the switch and everything, it's just there. I don't have to think. And I just kind of can adjust with my mind turned off. But for other people, they're, they're like, this is really heavy. And like, it's kind of awkward. And I'm just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way to me. I think it's because I started playing a Les Paul when I was like four feet tall. So I've just kind of like grown up with it it's just it's pretty much the only it's the only guitar that i really feel comfortable with everything else feels a little bit awkward um especially stratocasters or um anything like even guitars that are technically more ergonomic uh feel uh strange to me and i find myself accidentally hitting the knobs and turning them down and hitting switches that I'm not intending to. And so I think it's a lot of it's to do with just the layout of the thing. And that's just the, it's the one system that I'm able to kind of confidently navigate. And I, I not really interested in relearning how to do that. Um, but yeah, it's funny. So I, you know, I had that Les Paul and then when we started the band, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to use this Les Paul. I want to use something. I want to use a unique guitar that's going to be like unique to me. I think everybody, every guitar player has that stage where they're like trying to be like, you know, they're going to be defined by their gear in some like, you know, unique way. Some people are able to do that and like, you know, run with it and make a, make a career from it. But, you know, I just kind of kept playing these guitars. these like Dan electros or whatever. And like using pedals to try and make it sound more like a Les Paul. And one day I was just like, what am I doing? And so I just kind of picked up my Les Paul again. And that's, that was it. I mean, um, uh, I've, I've, I've had long love affairs with different types of guitars. You know, I, I played a Rickenbacker for a long time in the, in, in kind of the early years of our band. And I, I, I still have it. It's a great guitar, but, um, you know, I just kept coming back to my Les Paul and then, um, I, um, I one day, you know, just as I said, I was I was I was pulled in by the propaganda of rock photography. And one day I just really wanted to have a custom. And so um, I uh, I was working at this job and uh, I was actually um, cleaning out limousines. It was like in between tours. Horrible job. You can imagine what it was like cleaning out limousines after people uh, been in them. But uh, anyways, one day I was really hung over at the job and I smashed up a, uh, an, an Escalade limousine. I crashed it and, uh, they said, okay, you owe us like $3,000. And I was like, uh, no, I don't. Uh, that's, uh, that's illegal. You're not allowed to, if I work, I told my boss, if I work at the Hubble telescope and I break the Hubble telescope, I don't owe the people there a uh, billion dollars like that's right. <laughs> you can fire me but like of course you should fire me i'm terrible at this job but i don't owe you that money that's not how employment law works i'm no. an idiot and even i know that but uh so anyways i quit you should have known that too <laughs> yeah you should know that because it's illegal that you're even asking me to do that but um i said listen you know you guys owe me 400 bucks uh, so you can keep that, put that towards the old repair. I'm sure you don't, you have insurance. Like, shouldn't you have insurance with such big toys lying around here? Uh, anyways, I let them keep that. And I took all the money they made from that. And I bought myself my first, uh, Les Paul custom, my black one, which is also behind me. But, um, yeah, that was the first custom that I had. And I was kind of really, pre I was like, I'm not going to bring it out on the road and all this stuff. And then like, 
think like the second tour that we did after I got, I was like, if, if I'm not going to bring it out now, what am I doing with it? Just having it sit at home, like collect dust. Like this is what I do as a job. You know, this is why not bring out my, my favorite one. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I instantly noticed a, a, a fair deal of difference between a custom and a standard and the differences I liked. I mean, um, the, uh, I really liked the Ebony fretboard a lot and, um, I really liked, uh, it just felt like just a more substantial instrument and, uh, they're obviously beautiful. So, um, um, I got the black one and then like, uh, I guess it was like three years later we were on tour and I was like, I, re- I, I had always wanted like a really faded Alpine white one. And this mm-hmm. is like, somehow this is like before they became a good trillion dollars, but they had one at the Chicago music exchange. And, um, I just drained my bank account and bought this 1975 one. Oh, and, yeah. uh, about a, it's actually, I, I'll turn my camera here, but it's right there. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah. The standards right behind it. But, uh, um, about a week after getting it, we were playing some festival in Quebec and I had it on some stand and uh, it, the stand just fell over and uh, fat Mike from no effects was there and he tried to dive and save it and he missed. Um, but anyways, that's uh, that was, that was the first time I broke the headstock on that one, but that's the one I've done the most touring with. So it's uh, it's definitely taken a pounding, but it's my favorite sounding one and my favorite playing one. It's got a really, really solid just straight neck that um barely ever goes out of tune so i really love that guitar and uh i've changed pretty much everything on it has broken at some point i've had to replace like you know it's been refretted there's been multiple nuts on it multiple bridges like the first bridge just bent uh it, it completely um uh uh collapsed um yep. had had to swap out the pots cuz they were just you know, rusted as hell from how much I sweat. And uh, when I got it, there was some crazy Seymour Duncan invader pickup in it. That was like, this is kind of cool. But then like, it just didn't work with my rig. So I've just put a super distortion in it. And uh, um, yeah, it's been pretty much like that since I got it. I have, uh, I've had to kind of, as I said, change things on it as it breaks, but I use it for hours every day. So things break on it, but uh the whole thing is it's very, very solid. It's had, I think it's had three headstock breaks now. Uh, wow. Uh, one in a flight, one from it dropping and another one when it was being shipped. So, uh, two of them weren't really my fault, but the first one was definitely my fault. Um, that if there's any young listeners out there or anybody that's like, has a less ball for the first time or anything. And, um, you're clumsy like me just be prepared for your less ball headstock to snap at some point and it's okay that it does it doesn't matter don't get fixated on it it will i it hasn't affected the sound in any way that i can discern uh and uh it's kind of a rite of passage i would say for a less ball um but uh <laughs> um yeah i'm definitely very hard on my guitars though i i i try and take good care of them i i i am always meticulously setting them up and adjusting them but you know fair warning that's uh that's that's the only piece of advice i would give out there on that subject but uh um 
Yeah, I could talk forever about how much I love Les Pauls. <laughs> I I am just sitting here going like, you know, it's a good thing that I recognized very early on that for me, I was not tough enough to go on tour. Uh, and so I was, I was, the listeners have heard this many times, but I, uh, I hate road trips. I'm, I'm kind of weird like that. A lot of people love them and I can only imagine like touring being the almost except for the time that you're on stage like one of the least comfortable road trips of all time you know what i mean you're sleeping in vans and stuff so i was like there's no way i'm gonna do that but i love music and i want to figure out a way to be involved with music for a living so my les pauls knock on wood uh have not broken any headstocks oh congrats they stay. They stay at home, and uh, that though that said, my original, my special, I was very hard on. Like, I I was jumping off stacks, you know, playing local shows and little things, and I, even even at practice, I was thrashing around way more than was necessary, and it definitely got. There was definitely moments where I was like, "That's it. I've know I've broken the headstock now," and I did look, and I was like, "No, nope. still good, still good, still good." And um, I'm a lot nicer to my. My custom because I got it when I was much older, and then uh, my grandpa's uh, Les Paul Junior. I baby, so you know it's a. I mean, baby's probably the wrong term. I definitely have played it aggressively, but I'm much more careful with that one because it's it's got a special place in the in the heart. So yeah, it's um. I'm looking at it right now. Like oh hi there. Is it a fifties one? Yeah, it's a fifty. It's a fifty-five. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and nice. um, pretty much all original with with the. Uh, I have all the original stuff for it. I've changed the tuning pegs and the bridge so that it's a got a little bit better. I got a Mojo Axe bridge on it. Nice. Um, that was who suggested that to me. Tom from MXPX suggested that to me because Brian from Bad Religion suggested it to him. So I was like, well, if Brian Baker says so, then um, that's good enough for me. So. I swapped it on and yeah, it definitely has better intonation. So yeah, it's good. It's good. I love that guitar. It's it's phenomenal. I currently have it set up uh, tuned to D. I'm doing the Mike Ness trick with it, you know, and then I capo the second fret for standard because I don't know, it just set, changes that scale length and it just sounds sounds different and cool. Yeah, you know? yeah. I uh, I love the juniors too. I I think I have now. I have I have. Other than like a Supreme or whatever, like I think I've ever, I have two customs, a standard, a special and uh, two juniors. Nice. So I think I have the pretty much the, uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to complete the line, but, uh, or I'm not really, not really much of a collector, but um, I somehow have a, a pile of Les Pauls now. Um, I didn't intend to, but all, all, all of a sudden here we are. Um <laughs> I, I really love, you know, I love the, uh, I love the special and I love the junior a lot. I got a 57, uh, TV junior. Mm. Um, I love that guitar. Um, and, uh, I mean, they're super sick and they, I think it probably rings the best out of any of the less balls that I have. Um, but I will say that the I at the end of the day, I think I'm just a really I just love humbuckers. Um, mm -hmm. I I do really love uh, the sound of humbuckers. You know, I think that uh, there's a lot of charms of P90s. Um, 
but uh, I love the stability of humbuckers. And I also just love the tone of them. I love the fat, uh, that fat sound. And um, also how, you know, how much, how much, uh, how loud you can get them before they start really uh, rebelling against you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. I've, I've used a lot of, um, I've used a lot of vintage super distortions in my, uh, in my main custom. I'll, I don't are you broadcasting video? Can can you guys see if I pull it? Well, up we'll have to describe it because I okay. eventually I want to broadcast the video, but I have not had the time to edit them yet. So no sweat. Well, I'll, I'll okay. use my powers of description, meager as they are. All right, let's do it. Um, but uh, I put a um, uh, so I used to use these old super distortions in the bridge. I barely yeah. ever use the neck. I just kind of use it as like a clean channel with like the volume rolled off. Yep. Um, and uh, I actually just tried out uh, the Super Distortion 2, which I guess is supposed to be a neck pickup. But that's what I've oh. been using in the bridge. And I think it sounds amazing for the um, for a Les Paul. Uh, and uh, they're, they're a bit brighter than a super distortion and a lower output, like a super distortion is like 13 K 13 point something K and mm -hmm. uh, the super two is like eight K. So okay. it's considerably brighter. Uh, it still has a ceramic magnet. So it still will give you a supercharged sound, but uh, I find that uh, it just has uh, a bit more chime to it and a bit um a bit more clarity it's designed to kind of be as clear as possible so um i really like that pickup that's i think a highly underrated bridge pickup because they weren't designed to be used as a bridge pickup but i'm i'm just a big fan of using things that uh using things in ways they weren't designed to be used um <laughs> uh as i said like i i i kind of in my through some of the formative years of our band i i tried a lot of gear that looked really cool but didn't necessarily score big points in the reliability category or the tuning stability category but uh as i said it just came back to the les paul because you know if you set them up halfway decently they stay in tune and they sound awesome and uh the pickups are stable so um it's just one less thing to worry about but the amp world and the pedal world is another area that uh I have done a ton of experimenting with, as I said, in the formative years before I was just like, I found an amp and I was just like, okay, this is going to be the amp that I'm going to use until I die, basically. Um, okay. Uh, uh, it's, the, it's the Marshall Super Lead uh, 100 watt Plexi. That's, uh, that's it. That's the only amp I think I'm ever going to use. Uh, in the early years, as I said, used a lot of wacky stuff. So, um, uh, you know, up in Canada, we have trainer amps. Uh -huh. I don't know if you guys know those down in uh, yep. Portland there, but trainer uh, trainer amps are, are really excellent, especially the ones from the 60s and early 70s. They're like, you know, they're hand wired. Uh, they can compete with a Marshall for sure in terms of... Uh, uh, uh gain and uh especially reliability they're built like tanks um so i had this amp called a trainer bassmaster um mm -hmm. and it's i guess about 50 watts 
and um it's got like a presence knob but it's also got like a bass presence knob they're they're interesting amps um mm. and i used one of those for a while and then i was just like 50 watts is sick but i want more so i got uh i had a terrible ampeg v4 like one of these ampeg v4s that was like towards the end of when they're making them when they had a distortion knob and it sounded oh, yeah. horrible and it was terribly unreliable. I had to put so much work into it constantly, constantly sounded bad. It was loud as hell. Definitely answered that. It was like 120 watts, but uh, it never sounded good, at least with the pedals that I was using. And uh, it always shocked me when I tried to adjust it mid set. <laughs> so that was an issue. That's um, a, yeah, that's a problem. You don't yeah. want that to happen. Um, no. And then I had an, a nice, I had a decent little orange head for a while. And, um, you know, basically what, what one day I, and, uh, one day I, I walked into long and McQuaid, which is our version of guitar center. And uh, they had a, they had a used Marshall super lead and I plugged into it and I was just like, this amp sounds amazing. And, uh, I bought it and that was, that was it. And I, um, I never turned back. So I got it home and, uh, also, you know, in the early years, I used a ton of different weird fuzzes. I never really got into delay or reverb or anything else. It was just distortion for me. So, um, you know, I have a bunch of vintage stuff like Univox super fuzz and old big muffs. And I, I, uh, but the one that I really liked forever was, uh, the rat. Um, yeah. the rats kind of been my, my thing for a long time and i remember i wanted to be more like the mc5 again back to the photos like the being indoctrinated into rock and roll through photos uh or seeing all the video the pictures of them with the curly cords back to their amps you know nothing on the no cords to the ground just cords straight to the amp i was i i was at my my parents house and they were gone and I, I i set up my big marshall plexi rig in the living room and i said to myself well what if i plug straight into the amp but then i use the effects loop and put the rat the rat side multiple rats uh through there and uh i tried it and it sounded awesome i mean <laughs> it said i took out the marshall handbook and it was just like we recommend you don't use distortions in here. These are for delays or whatever. And I was just, just threw that rule book out and I tried it and uh, it sounded awesome. And uh, I, 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 unless I'm incorrect, I believe the way that it's actually functioning when you do that is you're putting the like distortion between the preamp and the power amp. So yes. it's uh, just a very different flavor than putting it straight into the front of the amp. Um and so I found that I could kind of get the best of both worlds. Uh, I, I really liked the sound of it, but I also, as I said, dug how I wasn't going to pull my cable out, uh, jumping around or pull it out of my pedal board or anything like that. So I could, I could kind of have them both isolated. And uh, as I said, it kicked ass. So I, um, I basically have just been running the exact same rig for basic for nine years now i haven't changed it oh ever. wow um, really the only things that i've changed is i've swapped out rats when they broke uh or uh i was lucky enough to get a deal with rat so proco so whenever they came out with some cool new rat i was like yeah sure i'll try it out but can i get two of them 
because uh, that's how I use, that's yeah. how I use them. I, I I have one on all the time, and then I have a second one kind of set higher that I use for choruses and solos or whatever it is uh, for a boost. And uh, then I have a tuner. And I used to use, uh, I have a, 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 a late 70s memory man that uh, looks like it's out of Mad Max. It's so rusty and crazy looking. But the only reason I was going to use it was to kind of make noise while I was switching guitars or to end the set, whatever it was going to be. But the problem with that thing is, is that it sounded different every time you used it. You could never, they're really cool, but you know, they're, they're not as controllable. Um, I just wanted to kind of sustain some sound. So someone's like, you should get the electro harmonics freeze. Cause they're like a hundred bucks and it does exactly what you're describing. And it isn't going to let you down and doesn't have to have a separate crazy power supply. Um, so that's, that's it. So I've just used two rats, a tuner and a freeze for, yeah, as I said, eight years. Um, but, uh, yeah, the older I've gotten, the more I've I've just kind of been really, really uh, attracted to reliability, especially with flying a lot and using European power supplies and all that stuff. Like you just want stuff that isn't going to fry when you plug it in, uh, which has happened to me too many times to count. And it is the most frustrating feeling in the world when you're right about to play, you're plugging all your stuff in and then you just see all the lights go off and you're like, I've done it again. Um, <laughs> so luckily now uh, I have, I've removed, I think I've removed pretty much all of the liability aspects of my rig other than myself, who is the biggest liability. Right. Uh, but uh yeah, I've, I've pretty much had the same rig uh, for eight years. Um, and, you know, it's funny because sometimes I'll get the feeling like, oh, man, I would love to add this one other flavor of distortion onto my board. And I'm just like, I kind of plug it in, start messing with it. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't need this. Like, I'll just I'll do it when we actually record the song. But nobody's going to notice. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not it's not worth all the extra headache that I'm going to have to go through to try and incorporate this into my simple little rig. So, um, yeah, I've, I've tried to kind of just keep it as simple as possible. And, uh, I get a lot of sounds or enough for me sounds out of that, uh, out of that. Um, anyways, yeah, that's, that's, that's my rig. <laughs> yeah. While you were saying that, like I was, I was imagining if I was to attempt to go on tour with just like my solo project, it would be a nightmare. It really would be a nightmare because, you know, like every song has a completely different pedal setup that isn't, and the song's entirely dependent on those, that, that particular rig. Cause I'm playing the pedals as much as I'm playing the guitar mm -hmm. and, you know, two almost always stereo amps. And like, so I'd probably have to have like, I'd probably have to have like five different pedal boards that I could like switch between and man, I can just see, I, I, uh, I talked to Tristan from, are you, are you familiar with author and Punisher? No. Seen? Okay. He basically, he does like what he calls like industrial doom. Cool. And so until recently he was totally by himself and he's uh, a mechanical engineer by trade. And so he literally has made all these like, sliding triggers and machines that he plays live and it's crazy it's crazy um but i was like i was looking at his rig and 
and just talking, you know, I've talked to so many guitarists at this point, and I asked him, I was like, so I imagine you've had like some catastrophes hit. He's like, oh, you have no idea. Like it's, he's like, I've got it pretty reliable now, but like, you know, he, he has like full on audio interfaces that he's playing into. And he's like, sometimes the input will go down in his PreSonus rig or whatever. And it's just like, it totally just kills everything. Yeah. It's such a complicated setup that he has, but that's also what makes it unique. Yeah. So, you know, you got to take the, take the good with the bad. So I really, I totally understand, like, keep it as simple as possible for what you need to do. And it's obviously working for you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it hasn't let me down too many times, which is great. Um, you know, I, as I, I've had the with these vintage fuzzes and stuff, you know, we'd put, be playing a, a show, you know, in our hometown like ten years ago or whatever, and like I go to step it on for a big part, and like the battery would fall out, and just be like, right. okay, guys, let's sit here for ten minutes, and you know, does anybody have a butter knife so I can take the old caked <laughs> screws out of this thing and like, why am I doing this? Nobody. This is just for my own vanity that I'm using this old vintage fuzz. Like I could buy a $30 copy of it and no one could tell the sound is different. Um, but it's just for my own thing that I'm using a vintage example, even though I'm stressed out the whole time while I'm using it, barely enjoying it. Um, you know, the other thing that the dumbest thing, I think there's a lot of in my, in my, in my rock and roll journey this far, the, the, the dumbest thing that I think I ever belief that I held, or at least position, I should say, mm-hmm. was that I just thought it was uncool to use tuners on stage. <laughs> and so I didn't have a stage tuner until I was about 25 years old. Whoa. Yeah. And then you got one and you were like, what have I been doing? Uh, yeah, I think there was like, there was a couple shows um, where us and our bass player at the time, Dave, you know, didn't have them because we're like, oh, it's much cooler that we don't have them. And, uh, you know, one of us had would, would have recently changed their strings and tried to like, you know, backstage, try and get as in tune as possible. But like when you're playing live, you're flailing away way harder than when you're practicing and you're hitting harder because you've got all the adrenaline and um, something would go out of tune and we'd have no recourse to correct it. And it would just be like, okay, so let's sound like uh let's sound like for the rest of the 40 minutes that we're being paid to be up here sure because of our vanity uh for not wanting stage tuners um so yeah i got a tuner and i should have got one before it's funny my guitar teacher shout out to him mike treblecock crazy name for a guitar player by the way uh he taught me since i was 12 years old so he's been teaching me for uh almost 20 yeah 20 years now um but he was in a band called the Killjoys, and, and they had a, a couple hits in Canada. They're kind of they're in, um, an alt rock band up here. They're great band. But um, he told me when I was you know just starting the band, he's just like, Luke, you got to get a tuner. I used to not do not do the same thing. I used to like, I thought it would be more natural to tune on stage. I'm just he's just like, don't do it. And anyways, Mike was right, but everybody has to learn their own lessons their own way. And uh, so, Mike, you were right. Um, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you earlier, but now I'm there with the uh, with the uh, stage tuner. Um, it's essential. Nobody wants to listen to you tune. Okay, it doesn't matter who you are. It's not 1972. 
use a stage tuner, be an adult. That's my, that's, <laughs> I, I, that's coming from a place of experience. Um, you're wasting our and your own time uh, tuning by ear on stage. Um, yes. And it's just, it's just easier. It's just easier to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do you like, do you also like use carrier pigeons instead of a cell phone? Like we've, we've made improvements. Why not take advantage of them? They, they directly, you know, apply to your trade and make it easier. And may I add better for the audience, which uh, I think must be considered. I know everyone's up there doing their art and stuff, but I feel that when you get up there, at least the way I think about it is like all of my artistry and all the, all, all of my kind of uh, creativity, all that stuff that gets kind of put to the side when we go out and pay or play for people that have paid to see us is I am now wearing the entertainer's hat and I am there to try and make everybody have a, a good, as good a time as possible. And um, I just don't think that includes listening to me tuning. So, um, it it only took me nine years to come to that realization. So, um, yeah, that's my, that's my, that's my speech about stage tuners. Please use a stage tuner. (laughs) But, you know, I, I have found that, uh, setting up a guitar properly and setting up a guitar properly for how you play, uh, can avoid all almost ever having to use a tuner. And I, I play guitar extremely uh, clumsily and aggressively and heavy handedly. And I barely ever have to tune my Les Paul on stage. Um, I've kind of just found a, a way of, or it's all about little certain things, right? You're making sure that the, you have a very well cut nut and uh, making sure that you've properly stretched the strings and properly, you know, uh, uh strung them up and uh and that you're making sure that all the contact points you know which is basically just the bridge and the nut are really well lubricated and um yeah i find that that goes a a a really really long way just taking taking the necessary steps and time to ensure that you know i i almost never have to use my tuner so um you know, uh, but these things I've learned the hard way. I remember like, you know, having, having a theory right before a big show, you know, like I'm going to stretch my strings before I go on this time and tune them all. So that they're just like so tight. And then you get up and everything's going sharp. And uh, it's <laughs> the worst feeling in the world when you're up there in front of a lot of people and your guitar is just not cooperating. Um, but, uh, you know, you learn, um, I feel I have a pretty good handle on it now, but it, it has taken me a long time to kind of get it to, to, uh, cooperate. For me, one of the biggest things that, that changed the tuning stability game for me was going to a wound G. Mm. Uh, once, once I did that, a lot of the problems that people associate with the G string just kind of went away, or at least were not nearly as frequent. Plus I liked how it, uh, how it sounded and how it felt, um, you know, it's it's small. It's a small gauge. It's just like a twenty, so it, you can barely even notice that it's wound. In the old days, that used to be kind of hard. You'd get a, you know, you'd get a, a wound G, and it might be a, you know, twenty-two or a twenty-four. You know, depending on who you got it from, and it that that doesn't feel great to me. That feels out of balance and wacky. And then it's just a bigger diameter than you're used to yeah. feeling. But once I was able to get a twenty, it was like 
oh, this pretty much feels like a plain string. Yeah. Performs like a wound string, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, like it's 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 all about finding the things that are going to work for you. I mean, like I was I was I've, you know, experimented with a ton of different gauges and stuff. And I, I just settled on the 11s basically like that's and we're half step down anyways. So um, mm-hmm. definitely worked a lot better for me. And then, like, you know, I, I know there's a lot of very passionate opinions again against doing it. But I find that uh, doing the top wrap on the Les Paul works for me. Great. It uh it um it's definitely positively affected the tuning stability for me and i almost never break strings i broke strings all of the time when uh i did the stock uh stock uh you know through the through the tailpiece over the over the bridge yeah. but doing the top wrap is really um just been the way i've done it and has has, has definitely helped it stay in tune for me but uh you know, I think I, I really do think that the most important part of a guitar's tuning stability is just is the nut, and it's so easy to um, miss di- or diagnose it as other issues. Oh, it's the tuning keys. Oh, the bridge is screwed up. Oh, these, you know. But if if you have a properly cut nut and you are keeping it really well lubricated, that's where majority of the problems that I've ever experienced are usually emanating from. So. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna, if you're, if you ever, if you're ever having problems with your tuning stability, take it to the best luthier you can find and get, make sure your nut situation is, is a plus and everything else will come together. You know, it's, uh, it's rarely the tuning pegs, you know, I like, I, my, my godfather who gave me <clears throat> my first guitar, he's got a very impressive guitar collection himself. Cause he's been, you know, acquiring them since the sixties um when there was no such thing as vintage yet and uh he got a brand new sg in 1966 from long and mcquaid and uh you know was having tuning problems and you know they told him to, oh you got to change the tuners to spurzel you know these grovers aren't good enough and he did that and still same problem and you know what the what the, ultimately the problem was was the nut you know the nut is is where the strings pass back and forth and if you're having if it's not you know slick as a whistle there you're gonna have problems so uh there's my there's my nut sermon to everybody uh, i'm <laughs> sure you guys already know this but uh these are the things that i these are the lessons that i've painfully learned myself so if uh if they're of any help i'm happy it's one of those things that's easy to overlook right like well the string's in there yeah it must it must be fine it must right be fine like, yeah it fits it fits. It's 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 all good. But yeah, if you, you know, especially Les Pauls famously have the G string issue, and you know the, what people don't realize is like, if you tune it up and you got it, you've got it tuned, or so you think, and then it's actually just stuck in the nut, and then it slips. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, while you're playing, it slips. It's it's going to go completely out of tune on you. And what? Why do I constantly have to retune? Probably because it's you're it's getting stuck in there yeah and you're not actually in tune when you think you are because the string isn't being held properly and the annoying thing about guitars and particularly gibson style guitars is in my experience at least is that 
you you kind of have to have them all in line or as 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 tuned as possible because if something dramatically shifts on one it's going to affect the other ones because it's going to change the tension so it's uh to me it's all just about like regular maintenance just like making sure everything is lubricated and honestly making sure you're playing them if you leave it in the case for a while or leave it on a rack for a while it's gonna be cranky it's gonna it's gonna take some playing in to get everything kind of used to being used again and you know we've done records where i've been like oh i'll bring out my rick it's been in the case for like six months and i'll bring it out and try and use it on something i'll string it up and it's just like this is not holding tune at all and is extremely upset with me for its lack of attention in the last six months so (laughs) if you ever plan to use something make sure you're you know playing it into shape up to the thing that you have to use it for um that's another thing i'd say but um it's kind of like a car in that regard right if you let a car just sit it's not it's generally not good no Things start freezing up, the bearings get stuck, like it starts developing corrosion in places that it wouldn't because it's designed to move. Yeah. You have to at least roll that thing around the block once a month or it's going to give you problems just yeah. from sitting you know? Yeah. Uh, Some squirrels guitar, are going to move in, you know? Yes, that's right. The guitars, it, it's a machine. It uh, is. A lot, a lot of us don't think of it that way, but it's got a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things. There's... That's why there are people that work on guitars for a living. There's yeah. things that need to all work together as a system in order for it to perform the way that we come to expect it to. Yeah. Occasionally, you can get get by with something uh, that, and you can abuse it or kind of neglect it here and there, and it's okay. That happens with cars too sometimes. But in general, you've got to maintain them both and you've got to use them both or it's going to give you problems it's going to give you problems but it is a hundred percent yeah and especially with the you know the uh especially with adjusting the neck like uh, you uh, if if i want to be able to use something and have be rely on it like i usually have to do a neck adjustment like a day or two at least before when i actually want to use it for the actual adjustment to fully settle you know, totally. all these things that like, you know, are super unsexy, but like you learn the hard way. Like I remember one time we played a show, we we're playing in a stadium across Canada opening for a band called Billy Talent. And the night before the biggest show, my friend was playing my last ball and he tuned it up to standard because he was playing something after we had played. And I just put it back in the case. And the next day I pulled it out and I was like, gonna, you know, getting ready to play it. And um, the neck like the, the neck bow had increased significantly uh, just from being under a, 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 a much higher tension overnight. And I, uh, I was even more inept at guitar that night than I usually am. And uh, it really taught me a lesson. Like you got to uh, it's uh, you really have to keep them in good neck and keep an eye on them uh, for them to uh, function optimally. And uh that's why that's why when we like that's why when we tour, I only bring a couple of guitars with me, just the the bare minimum, because you know, I, I only want I want to be able to put all of my my attention and maintenance into one or two of them rather than like, you know, a boat of them. Um mm-hmm. so um 
Yeah, it's it's the Les Paul is pretty much the only guitar that I I feel like I feel pretty comfortable with in terms of all the maintenance points and where the weak points are and the things to pay attention to. But to me, they're just extremely robust for for playing live and um, and they have stayed in tune. You know, I, I used to I had an SG Junior that I used for a while, but it was a newer reissue. To be honest with you, it wasn't the greatest guitar in the world, but it just, I could not keep the damn thing in tune. The, the neck was so thin. It just requires a completely different mindset to maintain uh, a guitar like that than it does um, with a Les Paul, or at least I found. Um, that was also in the days before I used a stage tuner as well. So you can imagine <laughs> what that sounded like. And when I was using an Ampeg V4, so it was oh, extra man. loud. Yeah, so good stuff. Um, yeah, so like you could, people could really hear you too. Really like, hear that I was out of tune. Yeah, that I was struggling. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's pretty much been it for me. I mean, um, it takes a lot to get me excited in terms of guitars that I want to buy at this point. Like I kind of have all of the guitars that I want. Like it's, it's, it's funny. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll say this myself like, Ooh, I could really see myself with that. That is a sick SG. I get, but then I ask myself, would I use it instead of this guitar? And the answer is no. So, I mean, it's very hard to get excited about guitars to be, uh, about new guitars or like getting excited about buying another guitar. Um, I haven't really bought an, an, another guitar in, uh, it's been five years since I bought a guitar, which is a long time for me because I went through a, a steady period of buying a guitar, or selling a guitar, or whatever, like, you know, moving them around for like 10 years. And then I just haven't really changed at all. Um, I have one acoustic guitar and five Les Pauls. And then I have some weird oddball electrics that I like to use when we're recording, like that Rickenbacker. And um, I have a Dan Armstrong that I like to use when we, go on tour um i got a three got a man armstrong I oh love you got band. one yeah they're yeah. sick eh mm -hmm. super cool like the the full two octaves is, is a real uh a real treat if you're soloing like an idiot like i do um, oh maybe you got something else going on i got i got the dan armstrong uh the the lucite guitar yeah so actually yeah the Oh yeah, that's right. It is a full two octaves. I did, I kind of forgot about that part because I'm just a chugga chugga boy. Yeah, over yeah, here. yeah. Fair. You're right. I totally totally spaced that fact on it. I just wanted one, admittedly, because Greg from Black Flag played one. Yeah, so, yeah. I think he's the guy that everybody wanted one because. Of, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, that that's cool, and I think he. I ironically, I love the pickups that come with those. Yeah. I, I actually got three of three of them. Uh, but I think he just had like a super distortion taped in there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's all he used. Like we toured with flag and uh, Steven Egerton from descendants was playing guitar in the band. And he had uh, uh, an exact replica of Greg Ginn's rig and, uh, and then clearly studied Greg's playing so much that it's uh, it, it sounded exactly like Greg Ginn. Like wow. he had just the kill switch and the super distortion and it, with like the power amps and the, like the PA amp, like it sounded like in the best way, like, like <laughs> one sound, no mercy. It was amazing. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, he had the rig and it was perfect. Uh, it was, it was just a treat to see him play every night and the rest of the That's band. So cool. Well, Hey man, we are nearing the end of the main episode of the podcast. 
And uh, I have a couple classic questions I like to get into. But before I do that, I like to give the chance for the guests to take the floor. And, you know, you can thank your grandma. You can uh, say whatever you want to say to a, a few thousand people right now. And now is the, the floor is yours, as I like to say. Well, I would just say, like to say that uh, I love rock and roll so much. And it's uh, I'm I am extremely lucky to get to do this. And uh it's just great to talk about gear because uh, no one lets me talk about gear around them because I'm so annoying about it. Um, so <laughs> I just want to thank you for having me on your podcast and talking about guitars and pedals and, and amps. And uh, I look forward to the extended conversation. Uh, I'm sure we can get into some more even granular nerdy stuff. We'll get real weird. We'll get real weird with it. I can guarantee you that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh you're welcome back whenever, and you can hit me up and talk about gear whenever. It's totally fine. This is My what I pleasure. do. My pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. So, classic questions. First one: What is your favorite Boss pedal? The HM2. No, no comparison. Ooh, that, I think that might have been the first time the HM2's been. I just been... got one, and it's like we're going to do a new record in like a week or two, and like there's going to be some serious HM2 on there. Yeah, <laughs> the HM2 is a lot of fun. I didn't understand it when I first got it because I was, everyone's like, you got to do the, the chainsaw, turn everything up. And I was like, I don't like that sound. Like, I don't like how that, that doesn't work for anything I do. So I started setting it more quote unquote normal, like how I would set something up. And I'm like, oh yeah, this actually is a really rad pedal. I just, I don't like the chainsaw sound. Sorry, everybody. All the black metal purists are going to come out of the woodwork and try to kill me or something but yeah uh, with their yeah. yeah the corpse paint you're gonna see that yeah yeah i'm yeah i'm not too worried about it no i don't think so either no uh <laughs> but yeah hm2 i like that that's the first my favorite setting on it is like volume dime obviously and like distortion at zero and then like the two the two eqs so the, the e, i guess the eq is active like it's a parametric yeah boost and so i kind of put those almost at full or like a, maybe a little bit back but usually at full like put distortion at zero like that's uh that with like uh my plexi uh sounds sounds like uh the apocalypse i love it <laughs> i love it that's awesome all right next question and this is the one that gets a little bit dicey this is the where families tend to like break up it's a it's a serious question what is your favorite kind of pizza I'm just a uh, either regular cheese pizza or pepperoni kind of guy. You know, I, I've gone, I've, I've tried, I, I, I will eat pizza with anything on it. Maybe not like literally anything, but like anything that you could convince, you could, you could consider a conventional pizza topping. Um, I yeah. love it all, but um, my girlfriend's vegetarian. So cheese pizza for me. Okay. Do you have any uh, specific local pizzerias you like or regional styles that you gravitate toward, like New York or anything like that? I'm a big fan of Buffalo style pizza. Do you know that? I don't know. Tell me more. So a friend of ours, so we obviously live close to Buffalo. It's about 45 minutes away. Um, but uh, our friend who's like another gear lord, this guy owns like four sun model T's and like all yeah. these. It's a wild dude, but uh, his name's Shane Tyrer. And he's applied his, his, uh, his uh, formidable brain towards making Buffalo style pizza, which I'd never had before. And, you know, I, I don't think that I can, um, 
I don't think I can impart to you all of the specific uh, aspects of this that make it a Buffalo style pizza, but the ones that I can remember are it's a certain type of sauce and that there's like, there's fresh minced garlic that goes on like right at the end before they put it into the broiler. And huh. um, I can't remember anything else, but anyways, Buffalo style pizza. He's got a pizza uh, place called boss pizza in St. Catharines. Funny hmm. enough, boss pizza. Yeah. And uh, he does it like, it's like, you kind of have to hit the drop. Like you got to put it in order and he does it like once a week and you go go pick it up. Um, but it's probably the best pizza I've ever had. So shout out to Boss Pizza uh, in okay. St. Catharines. There's another thing I got to put on my list of pizza destinations. All right. Boss Pizza in St. Catharines. Well, dude, this was great. Uh, thanks for coming on. This is a, the most get, for being a supposed guitar based show. This is occasionally, well, actually very often veers off into completely non-guitar related categories. And we pretty much stuck with it this whole time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, that's refreshing for the the listeners who thought they were turning into a guitar podcast. You did this time. Well, we didn't quite solve the Kennedy assassination, but we did talk about guitars. So we'll do that on Patreon. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Sounds All right. good. All right, for Luke, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you would like to support this show directly, it goes right back into the show. It literally keeps the lights on in the shred shed. If you could go to patreon.com slash tone mob, you can get even more of this conversation. It's just five bucks a month. It's really not a lot on an individual basis, but when a bunch of people come together and do it, it really, really, really makes a massive difference. So thank you to everyone that's doing that. And if you can't, I totally get it. No sweat. But if you could do something for me that doesn't cost any money, that would be sharing this with a friend. Share this with somebody that you think would enjoy it. Spread it around. Spread it around the internet. Tell everybody that you think would care about this show because honestly, that's the most important thing. If there weren't people listening, it would have definitely ended a long time ago. So if there's anyone you can think of, any forums you're a part of, anything, any way to amplify this signal, I would really, really appreciate it. So thank you very much to everyone that has done that. I really, I can't tell you how much that means to me. All right, I'm going to sign off. I got some more interneting to do, and I will see you on the interwebs and be talking to you again very, very soon. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. 
Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.